Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, August 15th, 2018. Oh man, last week's Pirate Christian Radio Conference. It was the bomb diggity. We had a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of... The Word of God? Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward uh, for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and uh, in fact, it's like not even remotely close to what Christians have historically believed, taught, or confessed in the entire 2,000-year history of Christianity. I mean, to say things are off the rails is an understatement. I didn't know that trains could go four-wheeling. But uh, you kind of get the idea. So uh, just coming back today, needed to take a couple of days off and kind of plan that uh, after uh, really kind of all the work and the hectic schedule that goes into uh, pulling off the uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference every year. Great speakers, Matt Richards, Sandra Ostapowicz, of course, Phil Johnson. Uh, He just did a whiz-bang job on his topics and uh, and so you know just really really a good time and uh, if you do not have opportunities if you haven't had an opportunity yet to attend a pirate christian radio conference a little bit of a note uh starting next summer uh what we are intending to do is kind of do a little bit of a rotation and so we've been getting a lot of requests from people in western europe uh, asking if we can have a PCR conference in Western Europe. The answer to the question is yes. We are intending to have one conference per year. Next year, we are looking to uh, have it in the United Kingdom somewhere. <laughs> we have not nailed down a venue yet, but we have a little bit of time for that. 
So I anticipate being able to, you know, at least let you know ahead of time uh, that it, you know, where in the UK it'll be. Uh, there's kind of two places potentially uh, that it could be. Uh, one is up in uh, Edinburgh in Scotland, and the other is down in Swansea in Wales. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah, let's just say we don't know which at the moment. We're we're working that working that out right now. So uh, that will be the one conference next year, and next year's conference will be free to attend. So uh, just want to let you know that, and um, and then we're hoping that the following year uh, we uh, will head back down to uh, Australia or New Zealand, and so you know we're kind of put, we're going to put this on a rotation. Uh, you know, you know, in different parts of uh, uh, Western civilization, and so it'll be a couple of years before it returns uh, to the United States. But uh, those of you looking for, you know, a, an excuse to travel to Europe next year, uh, think it, it pretty much the same time next year uh, would be the time that we would have our PCR conference. Uh, let me, in fact, let me look at my calendar. You know, pull up my iPad and look ahead into 2019 and tentatively we're kind of looking at uh august 9th and 10th uh of next year so if you want to kind of block that out right now that's tentatively uh what we're looking at nothing's set in stone at the moment but august 9th and 10th next year uh in the united kingdom if you want to start making you know at least tentative plans i mean you could travel you can meet us those of you who listen in western europe uh, you know, we'll we'll get you details as soon as we have a venue uh, worked out. But anyway, so I'm I, coming off the heels of this uh, last week's uh, PCR conference. Just really, ex- it was such a great event, and uh, one of the best things ap- about it is we try to keep our conferences small. We we intentionally, you know, kind of limit it to uh, about a hun- about 150 people. And the the idea behind that is is that uh, we want you to be able to talk with the uh, speakers. We want you to be able to get to know each other because, uh, you know, it, it's so that you think, you know what, I'm not crazy after all. There's other people who have uh, the same stories, horrific stories of the abuse they've suffered in uh, in churches where they've had false prophets and false apostles and false teachers uh, literally making merchandise of them. And it's just a good place to come and have fellowship with each other, get to know uh, me the, and the people who work behind the scenes with the Pirate Christian Radio and media. And uh, and so anyway, you, you kind of get the idea. Now, a little bit of a note here. We did have a, a major snafu, a major uh, uh, problem with uh, uh, the one of our pieces of sound equipment. And so uh, this year's conference, we do not have the best quality audio. We're in the process of seeing if uh, how to salvage it. And uh, and so as soon as uh, you know I, our sound editor, you know, is able to give me a verdict one way or another, we'll, we'll figure out how to release it. It may end up just being free uh, because the quality is is just not that good. But uh, despite the fact that quality isn't good, you can still really truly make out. Uh, uh, what it is that's being said and taught in each of the different lectures. So uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, you, you'll you, one way or another, you'll be able to have uh, access to the uh, lectures from this year's 2018 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. All of that being said, <sighs> <sighs> back in the saddle. I, I thought today what we would do is kind of start off uh, in the NAR. I, it's so funny. Uh, 
Phil Johnson and I had the opportunity to <clears throat> converse with each other uh, regarding uh, Michael Brown, which seems to be a, 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 one of our favorite topics when we get together with each other. And, uh, and so I thought, you know what, in honor of the fact that Phil and I were together, <laughs> uh, I would do a, a so-called NAR episode of Fighting for the Faith and, uh, and take a look at some things. So uh, that being said, let's actually talk about what it is we're going to cover on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. And I'll be blunt, I may have overcooked it. There may, we may have to uh, set aside one of the segments for a uh, later episode. But here's what I have on the docket so far. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start off, uh, you know, the whole program kind of is dedicated to the New Apostolic Reformation. We're going to start off with uh, Patricia King. Now, this isn't going to be audio of Patricia King. We're going to go back in time to February of 2008, if I am not mistaken. Let me check the uh, the dateline on this, uh, this piece. Yeah, February 10th, 2008. Uh, Patricia King on the Elijah List was talking about Apostolic Reformation, people envisioned with prophetic destiny will arise and become instruments of reformation. Yeah, interesting, huh? And so what's fascinating about this uh, article uh, uh, with Patricia, you know, by Patricia King with Patricia King on the Elijah List is back in 2008, the narrative coming out of the NAR was about the restoration of of the apostles, and we'll actually look at uh, this article almost in its entirety. It's it's worth a look at, and uh, and then uh, we'll switch gears altogether. And uh, it's still NAR. We'll listen to Brian Simmons, Brian Simmons, the uh, the author of the Passion, and you have to put the word translation in air quotes. This thing is a mess. I mean, hot mess. It is uh, whoa. And we're just going to give you another example of the complete lunacy that is this man's theology, the guy who is responsible for unleashing the so-called passion translation on the wider body of Christ. And uh, we're going to literally hear him say that we, you, you and I, we are the Word made flesh. We are the reincarnation, is what he says, of the Word made flesh. I want you to hear it for yourself. I mean, it's really that bad. Now, depending on time, I'll have to make a decision. Uh, my hope was to get to uh, these next two also in the first hour. I might have to put one off to the side. And uh, and I want to talk about uh, Banning Lebscher uh, of Jesus Culture and his Q lecture titled Release the Supernatural. Now, I know I'll be able to get to that one, and if we have time, then I also want to take a look at a video by Asher Intrater Asher and, and uh, Ron Cantor of Revive Israel uh, as they discuss the big errors in apostolic and prophetic ministry. And the big error is, <laughs> in reality, the belief that uh, God has restored apostles and prophets today. So, And then in hour number two, put on your tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, we're going to head over to... <laughs> We're going to head over to Kansas City as we uh, listen to Bob Jones and Mike Bickle, uh huh, of uh, uh, yeah, of the International House of Prayer, uh, discussing vision and revelations. And this goes back to I think 1988. This will be visions and revelations part one. We'll do some historical sermon reviews uh, from the NAR uh, from years past. 
And, uh, you know, we'll see if we can fit a few of these in before the end of the summer. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We literally have a ton of ground that we need to cover. And so uh, since the whole program is literally dedicated to the NAR, let's do this. Chief what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the team has sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done. Their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so we're heading over to the Elijah List, February 10th, 2008. So this is just a little over 10 years ago. And the headline reads, Jim Wees with Patricia King, Apostolic Reformation, People Envisioned with Prophetic Destiny Will Arise and Become Instruments of Reformation. And we're going to pay close attention to this article because in it, she, no joke, is making the case for the restoration of apostles. Now, uh, <clears throat> Michael Brown, Michael Brown is saying, oh, no, no, they, we've always had apostles. You know, small a apostle, small a. And uh, well, that's not what uh, Patricia King's talking about here. And I find it fascinating how the um, NAR always changes their rhetoric when they're called out on it. But this is before the NAR was really on everybody's radar, and they were receiving overt criticism. So let's take a look at uh, what Patricia King and Jim Wees wrote back then. I think you will find this fascinating. Now, just a note, with today's program, I will put a link up to this Elijah Le- uh, List article so that you can see it for yourself. I recommend screen capturing it. And uh, we'll even put a link to the archive.org version of it should they decide to pull it after we uh, put a spotlight on it because it's kind of that damaging. Uh, But uh, let's get to it. Uh, And here's what Patricia King says. Prophetic Encouragement by Patricia King. Uh, We have arrived at a new day in God's eternal purposes. We are in the time of the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets of old. Important little note there. She's talking about restoration of what? Apostles. Uh huh. See, God said he would again restore the house of David that had fallen down as prophesied by Amos. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So, n- note here, she thinks Amos 9.11 is referring to the restoration of apostles here at the end of the age. The quote of that prophecy in Acts fifteen seventeen says that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. This restoration is clearly connected to a time of end-time 
harvest. This is that day, she writes. He has prepared vessels that are arising to the task and will see the plans of God through to the perfecting of a glorious church, a bride without spot or wrinkle. And by the way, this little doctrine right here, that comes from the latter rain. Uh-huh. Mm, just saying. They claimed that God, that Christ could not return until the bride had been, you know, had all of her spots and wrinkles removed, and it was up to us to do that. So in preparation, so a bride without spot or wrinkle in preparation for his return, these are people of faith who have confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to do what he intends to do, prepare the bride for the bridegroom, as if somehow the bride of Christ hasn't already been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Very strange. So Jesus did not say that he was coming back for a shriveled up, an emaciated bride to whom he will have to administer mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on the way up to heaven. I think he's going to have a bride who is prepared and glorious. Many scriptures show us a victorious eschatology for the church at the end of the age. And here are a few. Now, a little bit of a note here. When it comes to rightly handling God's word, you have to pay attention to what is being referred to. And so she immediately goes to Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 5 is not an eschatological text not in the way she's using it. So here's her quote from Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's a reference to baptism, by the way. So that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, note here, he might present her to himself. Christ is the one that takes away the spots and the wrinkles from the bride of Christ. It's not up to us to remove those spots or wrinkles. They are removed by the blood of Christ, by the forgiveness of our sins, through faith being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So, But that she should be holy and without blemish. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So she thinks that this is an eschatological text. It's not. And so this isn't talking about some future time when Christ is going to make the bride without spot or wrinkle. No, the bride of Christ is already without spot or wrinkle because her sins have been completely forgiven and washed away. Now, Acts 3, 18 through 21, watch what she does with this. But those things which were foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was prepared to you, uh, preach to you, whom heaven must receive until times of restoration of all things. Now, a little bit of a note here until the times of restoration of all things, is referring to Jesus' return. The time when literally there is no more, there is no sin, and that the earth is returned and restored to its Edenic state. That's the idea. He- new heavens, new earth. Read the back of the book. Um, but that's not talking about a time prior to the return of Christ. The restoration takes place 
after Christ's return. So note here, she's putting a big emphasis on, you know, there's going to be until the times of restoration of all things. And she thinks the all things is going to include, by the way, the restoration of the apostles. And we're going to talk about how embarrassing this is if we, when you think about this. But we continue. So which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets uh, since the world began. And then Ephesians four eleven through 16. Uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, a little bit of a note here. And you're going to see this. Patricia is literally arguing for the restoration of apostles. But if if Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is to be understood as we are to always have, you know, that apostles, the office of apostle needs to be constantly filled, well, we've got a problem because there haven't been apostles on earth functioning as apostles since the death of John the Apostle in the late first century. And so, you know, literally, if 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 Ephesians four eleven is to be understood as that, you know, the fivefold ministry is to continue, then it didn't continue until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It didn't continue at all. In fact, there is a nineteen hundred year gap in, um apostles being in the church. You know, there was a bunch of them at the beginning. They petered out, disappeared, and only now they're being restored. But if you take Ephesians 4.11 the way they, they take it, then there's, they're saying that we always need apostles, and God has promised these things until we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, a little bit of a note here is that um, you'll what biblically is the list of uh, qualifications for a, an apostle uh, you know, after the apostles. You know, how, how many wives are they allowed to have? Uh, what's their character? And yeah, there's no list of who's qualified to be an apostle. None whatsoever. But just take what Ephesians 2 says, and then you'll get what's going on here, that uh, we've, got a, we've got a big problem, and that is the, that uh, these people have do not understand that the apostles still continue to do their work through the written word of God, just like the prophets of the Old Testament still continue to do their work through the written word of God. So let me uh, let me show you this from Ephesians 2. I'll start at verse 14 for the context, and it's down a little farther. He himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both, this is talking about Jews and Greeks, to God uh, in the one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the what? The foundation. The foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone. So here's the thing. The same book that uh, gives us Ephesians 4 gives us Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 makes it very clear 
that the church is built on the what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. You don't lay a foundation again. And so all of the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and they still continue to do their work through the written word of God. And so the reason why there's a 1,900-year gap, actually longer than that, you know, why there's a huge gap between apostles of Christ, who were sent by Christ, and today is because the, the foundation's already been laid and shouldn't be relayed. So here Patricia King is literally saying, yeah, well, this is an eschatological text, and we're going to have apostles until Jesus returns, but they've got to be restored, which means they haven't been here. And she's literally admitting that. Now, let's take a look then at her commentary, where she says, God has declared and will have a glorious end-time church, she says, which is a twisting of these texts. That's not what Christ is talking about. God, Christ already has a glorious church. We're made glorious because we're forgiven of our sins in Christ. So God will have a latter house more glorious than the former. God will cause his glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And God will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and cause the ends of the earth to come to the glory of its rising. Great boldness, faith, and optimism will arise in our hearts when we realize that we have inherited a prophetic mission in accordance with God's inexorable purposes. Wow. I don't know how she jumped that chasm, but those texts she quoted have nothing to do with what she's saying. So she continues, God plans to have a fully functioning apostolic prophetic church in order to execute an unprecedented harvest at the end of the age, and we are it. Notice, she doesn't say God already has a fully functioning apostolic prophetic church, but he, God intends to. He plans to have one. In 2008, it was still in the works. Uh, apostles hadn't been restored, and by the way, they haven't been restored today. The people claiming to be apostles today are not. They literally are not. But she continues, We are his plan. We cannot expect the angels to do it. We cannot expect another generation to do it. God has appointed you and me to be here now for such a time as this. Misquoting Esther, by the way. The season we are in is often called the time of apostolic reformation. In fact, one well-known church growth expert, C. Peter Wagner, uh, has uh, wrote, quote, the great change in the way of doing church since the Protestant Reformation is taking place before our eyes. If that is true, there are a number of implications. It means renovations. It means moving forward into new things. It means we need to be not only open, but pursuing transition and change. But if we want to partake of an apostolic reformation, we must also embrace what I would call the apostolic devotion. The early church was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to meals together and to prayer. So she continues then, uh, looking at the life of Josiah. Apparently the life of Josiah prophesies in weird type and shadow parabolic kind of ways about the time of the restoration of apostles in our lifetime. So she says this, The setting was during one of the lowest points in Israel's histories. King Manasseh had already been in power for 50 years, during which time he had led Judah into the worst condition of paganism and idol worship they had ever experienced. Not only 
did he do all manner of evil, which the Lord called an abomination in his sight. He also led Judah into all manner of sin, as well as such as child sacrifice, witchcraft, divination, as well as several kinds of perverse idol worship. So into this wicked culture came Josiah, who typically would have followed in the footsteps of his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh, but God had prophetic had a prophetic destiny that included Josiah. In fact, Josiah had been prophesied by name almost 300 years earlier, and it was said of him that he would be a great reformer. Josiah inherited the throne at the tender age of eight years old, and at the age of 16, Josiah began radically seeking the Lord after the manner of his ancestor, King David. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. So David's manner of seeking God was total commitment. Note David's words in Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, and my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. All right. So... You'll note then, she continues, Josiah found himself serving the purposes of God in his generation according to God's covenant promises to David. The zeal for the house of God is the backbone of apostolic reformation. Uh huh. And she's talking about restoration. Josiah went against the tide of the popular culture of his day and became one of the great kings of Judah and engineered a major reformation in his generation. He also stands as an example to the youth for our day. So notice, engineered a major reformation in his generation. Now consider the implications of this rhetoric, the way she's twisting scripture here. She's literally, basically, saying that the church... You know, historically, as we know it, that they are just as apostate as Manasseh and Ammon and weren't fully committed to God. And so this this generation coming up, they need to fully commit themselves to God and they will be partakers of the great reformation of the church that will parallel the life of Josiah. Uh-huh. So she writes then, there are several keys to reformation that we can learn from the reign of Josiah and the reformation that he brought to the nation. But before we look at them, we must understand that the body of Christ has arrived at a similar time in God's prophetic purposes in the midst of wickedness on every side. Hmm. God has chosen people envisioned with prophetic destiny that will arise and become instruments of reformation at this critical time in history. So the keys to reformation are that, one, King Josiah was devoted to seeking God. Two, that Josiah was devoted to the book. Three, that Josiah was not disillusioned by the disrepair of the house of the Lord, but gave himself to the repair of it. So we we, we should not be dismayed at the disrepair of the church. We don't have any apostles and prophets in 2008. We, we must... We must commit ourselves to the restoration and the rebuilding of the things that have been torn down. Uh-huh. No, she's not talking about ongoing apostles, but the restoration of them. Mm. Now, she writes that there are there are many who would criticize the church as we know it, but we need a people who are committed to building the kind of end times version of the church that God wants. Notice that Josiah was willing to build a team ministry and entrust the work to others who were faithful and shared the vision of the work. 
And then Josiah understood the prophetic significance and purpose of worship. So she then writes, so in every restoration movement, isn't that interesting? Michael Brown, I wonder how you would explain that, because this was the common rhetoric of 10 years ago in uh, people who are now major leaders in the NAR, talking about the restoration, not the ongoing, but the restoration of apostles. Uh huh. So in every restoration movement, music was of great importance. In David's day, we see the initial pattern for the last days, restoration of apostolic authority. Uh huh. That's weird. The NAR historically didn't believe in the ongoing apostles. They believed in the restoration of them. This is just one example. David made a radical departure from Moses' form of worship and established 24-hour worship around the presence of God. And from that time on, whenever there was reformation, it always included restoration of the Davidic pattern of prophetic praise. This is the foundation of IHOP. Uh Uh-huh. In Nehemiah's, day, in Nehemiah's day, the completion of the walls and the implementation of the new society was inaugurated with two massive choirs so large they circled the city and were able to be heard from afar. So the th- same thing was characteristic of Ezra's reform with a return to the Davidic pattern of worship. And then key five, Josiah led an example, led by example and called for a commitment So we then see kind of her wrapping up her thoughts here. Josiah led the people forth in a major reformation during his reign. He reestablished the rule of God through his righteous rule. Therefore, he serves today as a model of an apostolic reformer. His devotion to God and his word changed a generation. When Josiah rediscovered the book, it changed his life. It caused him to reevaluate the traditions of the day and go back to the patterns and purposes of God. Ah, uh, see, yeah, there it is. We've got to challenge the way the church is today and return to the pattern of having apostles and prophets. Uh-huh. That's their rhetoric. So he sought God, reached back to the biblical pattern in God's word and God's pattern of worship. True reformation took place throughout his realm. His devotion can serve as an example for us during these times of apostolic reformation according to God's predestined purposes. Hmm. Over and again, Michael Brown talks about the so-called NAR. And then says, oh, you know, I'm just a five-folder. You know, we've always had apostles. But weird, the people in the NAR, like Patricia King and others, and like Shayon and others, they've overtly and openly in the past talked about the restoration, which kind of leaves that thorny question then. Wait a second. If uh, if the if the, we're to understand that the five-fold ministry is to continue until Jesus returns... How come the people in the NAR in the past were so open about the fact that it had been missing for 1,900 years and had to be restored literally within the last 10? Just something to think about because these people are deceivers. And not only that, they they change their narrative constantly. Now that apostles and prophets are like a thoroughgoing thing now, now they say, oh, we've always had them. But before... When they weren't there, they said they had to be restored. Moving the goalposts, changing the narratives. These are some of the things that false teachers do, false teachers like Patricia King. And by the way, Matthew and John and Peter and Paul, they're all still doing their apostolic work today in the written word of God. 
They are the foundation of the church, and you don't relay a foundation. You build on it, which is why you know, we have an apostolic church today. The church has always been apostolic because it teaches the same doctrine, the same Christ, the same gospel as the apostles preached. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkmac at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We'll be hearing from Brian Simmons, and then I'm going to make a few decisions about Asher and Tratter or banning Lepshire. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, 
Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that, uh, well, there are no living apostles today because there aren't any. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, with $9.95 a month being your commitment. After that, $24.95 a month for Gunner's Mate. And then Master Gunner at $49.95 a month and Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It truly helps us you know, pay our bills regularly and things like that. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, you can do that as well by clicking on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you could do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to Brian Simmons, and we're going to listen to Asher and Tratter and Ron Cantor. We'll hang hang on to the Banning Leibscher, uh, uh from Jesus Culture, his uh, talk on the release of the supernatural for a soon-to-be-released episode of Fighting for the Faith. But since we're going to reset here, let's reset by doing this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are, standing in a row 
Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. All right, so um, I'm not sure where this what, what occurred. Uh, let me see. Jubilee Church in Sydney. There we go. Jubilee Church in Sydney. Brian Simmons, the guy who unleashed the Passion Translation as like it's the Ebola virus of Bibles. No kidding. Stay away from this thing. If you have, if you are attending a church and the pastor or pastrix, prophet, prophetesses, whoever, if they're actually preaching from this thing, leave. Leave. This thing is a hot mess of really bad theology. And just keep in mind that Jesus himself says that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And I want you to hear the bad fruit of this tree that is Brian Simmons so that you can basically recognize this man has no business bringing a Bible translation to anybody. And by the way, he claims special inspiration from God the Holy Spirit for his translation. And this is a guy whose theology is so bad and like painfully, obviously wackerdoodle that uh, you know you need to recognize this for what it is. So, for, without any further ado, here's Brian Simmons talking about the glory of the last days. And wait till you find out you're a reincarnation of Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. He's within us. The Revelation 12 virgin bride will give birth to a man-child company, a corporate expression. One has become many. The seed has now fallen in the ground and died, but is now bearing many seeds. There's a many-seeded Christ. He will prolong his day. There's a many-seeded Christ coming? And take pleasure in what he sees. Isaiah 53 says that, that he will see his seed... And prolong his days. We are extending the ministry of Jesus throughout the nations. We are carrying his life and his nature and his DNA wherever we go. We are we're carrying his DNA? Huh? We're to preach the gospel, proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. What are you talking about? Prolonging his days, the Acts 29 company. We are expressing the Christ wherever we go. And as the corporate maturity... Uh, continues, and we rise to be the holy temple under the Lord, there will be that under the apple tree conception. (laughs) Something's going to get conceived under the apple tree? Will there be fornicabutilating happening underneath the apple tree? What are you talking about? And the Christ we long for will be seen in a corporate way. Christ will be seen in a corporate way? Huh? There's a coming glory. If you look at Antichrist, the devil, you look at judgment, you know, bowls, trumpets, and uh, let's see, uh, seals, trumpets, and bowls. All three of those 
I don't know how far to go with you guys. <laughs> yeah, weird. I mean, if you were just exegeting, you could just exegete the passage. But see, he's revealing something new, something they've never heard before. Uh-huh. Three of them refer to people. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I could show you the seven seals from the New Testament. Seven times it says you're sealed. Uh, so we're the seals that are broken <sighs> on the scroll in the book of Revelation. Really? No. Sealed book is you. He's the word, the volume of the book. It is written of him. We express the word. We are the word made flesh again. We are the... <laughs> oh, man. We're the word made flesh again. So you and I, the the body of Christ, we are an in, we are the in, we are the the reincarnation of Christ. Reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm going to back this up so you can hear it in context. Listen again. Book is you. He's the word. The volume of the book. It is written of him. We express the word. We are the word made flesh again. We are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so you and I are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. No, we're not. Oh, my goodness. This, I mean, seriously, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. We are not. Consider the implications of what it is that he's saying here. The corporate expression. Seals, seven seals of the Holy Spirit. Trumpet, our message is, it's a revelation. It's a message that trumpets the truth of God, sounds into the ears and the heart of those with ears that have been pierced and whose hearts are prepared. It is a message of coming glory. And a bowl, isn't that what we are? We are jars of clay, we're vessels. We are vessels of honor. It just so happens that the bowls, you know, when the angels pour out the contents of those bowls, it results in judgment on the earth. It's interesting. When Jericho was under a curse, Elisha said, get a bowl. Get a bowl full of salt. Right? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What makes us salty is faith in Christ. Take a bowl full of salt and go to the headwaters of the river of the waters of Jericho that are undrinkable and and put a bowl full of salt into the water and it'll be drinkable again. We break the curse off our cities. The expression of Christ in us, the salt-bearing company. We break the... What? Uh Uh-huh. So we collectively now are the re-incarnation... Of Christ. Yeah, this is the second video we've done on Brian Simmons. Hopefully, there'll be more in the future because you got to recognize that is the tree that the Passion Translation is the fruit of. No bad tree can bear good fruit. He ain't no good tree. He's a false teacher in a rank heretic. And this idea that we are the reincarnation of Christ. And that God's going to, you know, and that we're being raised up right now as some collective man-child company. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is NAR eschatology, kind of like 101. The Passion Translation is the translation of the NAR. Avoid it like the plague. And if you have a pastor who's preaching or teaching from it, run. 
run as if the fires of hell are about to break out underneath your church, because they are. That's how serious this is. All right, for our last segment in this hour, um, we're going to head down to Israel to revive Israel, which is is literally uh, a ministry that is deeply embedded in the NAR. And we're going to listen to Asher and Tratter and Ron Cantor as uh, Cody Archer is interviewing them about the big error in apostolic and prophetic ministry today. And I'll just say it up front. The big error in apostolic and prophetic ministry today is the belief that there are present-day apostles and prophets. That's the problem. But uh, here is Cody Archer to introduce Asher and Tratter and Ron Cantor as they discuss uh, the uh, the big error in apostolic and prophetic ministry. Here we go. We're going to talk about uh, a bit of a touchy, sensitive subject today. We're going to talk about apostolic and prophetic ministry. And I know that for every one of you watching today, that might hit you in a different way. But we're going to dig a little bit deeper and potentially go into some type of series over the coming months, um, trying to see what does the scriptures really say about this subject. And Now, a little bit of a note here. Um, in the uh, P- Patricia King video that we recently published, uh, you know, w- went over the fact that historically, within the NAR, 10 years ago, they were talking about the future restoration of apostles. And now a lot of time has passed, and now people in the NAR are saying, oh, well, the Bible teaches in Ephesians 4 that we've always had apostles. That's not what Ephesians 4 teaches. And the and people in the NAR who are claiming that they're just mere five-folders, that they believe in ongoing apostolic ministry, 10 years ago, everybody in the NAR was talking about the restoration of apostles. We've documented this in several different videos. Uh, Patricia King's video that we published uh, just this week is also, you know, one of those places where we document this. But a little bit of a note here uh, that uh, we'll go into Ephesians chapter 2 and note what what is written. Uh, Ephesians 2.18, through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the, watch this, foundation of apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation, that's right, the apostles and prophets are the foundation on which the church is built, which means, literally, you don't relay a foundation, and you don't put a new foundation up every floor. No, the foundation is the thing that everything is built on. Now, uh, in uh, the historic creeds, the ecumenical creeds, like the Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, it confesses that uh, that we believe in one holy Catholic. Now, that Catholic is a small c, universal, and apostolic church. An apostolic church literally is a church that teaches the apostolic doctrine, the same doctrines, the same gospel, same Christ as the apostles taught. So in Ephesians 2, it literally says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about how uh, that uh, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. It's important to us for us to recognize this that Elijah is is, is you know Isaiah, Malachi, the 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 prophets of old are still doing their work 
through the written word of God. So are Matthew and John and Peter. They are still equipping people today through the written word of God. And so you'll note then one of the things that's missing in Scripture is any kind of a list for the qualifications for ongoing prophets. You know, when you look at, like, the pastoral epistles, it tells you what the qualifications are for a pastor. And, you know, husband of one wife, above reproach, able to give instruction in sound doctrine, rebuke those who contradict it. That's from Titus chapter 1. And you can take a look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 for a similar list. Uh, but you'll note that there is no list for who's qualified to be an apostle, nor is there uh, an, at least a, an ongoing list of who's qualified. There is an initial list. You have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection and uh, <laughs> been part of the, you know, the te- you know, the, you know, Jesus's disciple team from the time he was baptized. Things like that. Uh, you can find that in Acts one. The Apostle Paul would be an exception to the rule. He is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ, and Christ particularly called him uh, to be an apostle. But, you know, this idea that there are ongoing apostles today, 10 years ago, people in the NAR were talking about the restoration of apostles, and now they've changed their narrative, and they're claiming that, oh, well, you know, uh, Ephesians 4.11 is teaching that we have to have them ongoing now. Yeah, John is still teaching us today. Paul is still teaching us today. So is Peter. So is Matthew. It's weird. You know, so the so he gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds to equip the saints. You and I are still being equipped by the prophets and by the apostles through the written word of God. So they are the foundation of the church. The the you know what the, the church is built on that foundation. So anybody who's talking about uh, you know, saying, well, I'm a five-folder. You know, I believe in ongoing apostles. Well, 10 years ago, nobody was talking about that. Everyone was talking about the restoration of them, and that's historically, factually verifiable and provable. But uh, here we are in Israel, and we're seeing these guys recognizing that this is a um, um, <clears throat> a delicate topic, and uh, and there's been abuses that apparently have arisen, shock of shock, shocks there, from people who... Uh, claim the title of apostle and prophet. And so watch what they think is the solution to this problem. Where there's areas of improvement, what's wrong, what's right, what's the right attitude to even approach this subject. So let's jump in today, guys. Ash, I want to start with you. What What is the right heart approach even to this topic of apostolic and prophetic ministry? What's the right heart approach? You need to repent is what you need to do. That's your right heart approach because... There are no apostles today. There's a key word, and the key word is humility. Uh, The main problem that I see with people in uh, apostolic and prophetic type ministry and apostles and prophets and prophecy and all the anointing is that it it creates pride. And pride gives a, a wrong uh, atmosphere. It gives a wrong spirit to what's going on. And when I look at to all the problems that... Hmm. Don't you think if this was truly from the Holy Spirit, that pride would be the last thing that would burble up from within people who've been, you know, in the modern day restoration of apostles? 
we have. Uh, it's mostly because of this, that a lack of humility. So what we really wanted to, to sort of, uh, purify the prophetic or to bring a, uh, a tikkun, a, a, a change, a, rep, uh, a repairing of the apostolic is to start with this thing of being, of being humble. And looking at it as, okay, it's, it's, it's a ministry, it's a, it's a, it's a function that you fulfill, it's nothing, it's nothing done, and you, and you start with, uh, Hebrews 3, 1, which says, now, I just have to ask the question. If there are modern-day apostles, where in the Bible do we learn what function modern-day apostles would fulfill? There is no list of their duties ongoing, nor are there a list of qualifications for people to be placed into that office ongoing. How can it be a function in the church if there's no list of you know actual duties of that office that they're to be fulfilling on an ongoing basis. Yeshua is the chief apostle of our faith. And let's just remember this. This is not about any of us. Nobody is great in the kingdom. It's only Yeshua. The rest of us were, have been sinners. Sounds so humble. But this is still a humble brag. And doesn't take into consideration the very correct understanding that apostles... And prophets are the foundation of the church, not part of the superstructure itself. And that there have not been apostles and prophets on the earth for literally almost 2,000 years. That we're saved by his blood, and if he by his grace happens to give us something to do, then uh, that's okay. That's by his grace. So the whole thing is to start. I like uh, also something that says that... uh, uh, when about prophecy, for instance, says that right now we prophesy in part, which means nobody's got it all up, and so that whole sort of posture of and God told me and that, that, that's all wrong. You're on the wrong foot to start with because you're only seeing it in part. So notice that uh, Asher and Tratter here is literally arguing for fallible prophets. You could say, "Well, this is this is how I, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm perceiving. Mm-hmm. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying to me, or this is the strategy." So the main thing, you know, I've heard Michael Brown say those almost exact words. Hmm. Is to start. I think is to get on the right foot. The left foot is if you think you're something special, but the, the correct foot, the right foot, is let's all start with a place of humility. That's the big thing. A humble approach to. I mean, it sounds so pious. But it's not pious at all. It's the whole premise is totally faulty. A fivefold ministry, of course, not just apostles and prophets, but also evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Anything that we're doing for the Lord, you, the, it's, it's, you have to have the ground level of humility, which gets us on the right foot. Yeah, that's good. Now, I know over this last year, especially, this subject has come under a lot of attack. Asher, you personally have uh, come under a lot of heavy, intense yeah. attack, and people saying things about you, you as well, Ron. Uh, Ron, what would you say is like, what are the, why is this topic so controversial or such a hot button thing for people? Because there have not been apostles on the planet since the death of the apostle John. There are no apostles in the time of the, uh, the church fathers. There's no apostles in the time of the Reformation in the Middle Ages. And it's only in the last 10 years that people in the NAR have claimed that God has restored them and then changed the narrative to say, oh, no, no, we've always had them. They just didn't know that they were. Change their story. Asher really hit it. It's the lack of humility that is associated with the titles apostle, 
prophet. I get Facebook uh, friend requests from the apostle such and such, the prophet such and such. Uh, and it, there's so much pride connected to these titles. And, and I, I Now, watch his solution here. He is literally going to basically say, yes, you are apostles, but just don't use that title hate that i reject that we don't want the title we want the function we want the gift yeah i've heard michael brown use these exact words as well Mm -hmm. this is by the way if a difference that makes no difference is no difference at all if i think i'm an apostle and i am now going to you know uh, uh basically operate in the authority of an apostle. Even if I use a different name, I'm still acting like an apostle. Or if I don't use the title, I'm still acting like an apostle. And this kind of begs the question, if God's the one who's restored these apostles, and you you believe that the fivefold ministry is going to continue on, and we're going to have apostles and prophets until Jesus returns, why would you encourage them to use to use a different name or to not use the title of the office that they claim that they're operating in? And what's really interesting is that Yeshua's greatest challenge as a leadership trainer, he was the greatest leadership trainer in the world. And he had 12 guys, and he lost one of them. But just a few days before he's going to be crucified, uh, the mother of James and John comes to Yeshua, kind of takes him aside a little bit and says, hey, listen, in your kingdom, could would you mind if, you, I mean, they're from Galilee, you've grown up, you've known these guys a long time, John and James, let them sit on your right and left hand. Then the other apostles here, but like, what? No, not, they weren't offended by her uh, pride or the proud request. They were like, that belongs to me. So then you get closer to the crucifixion. And if I'm Yeshua, I'm getting really frustrated at this point. Now, he is the God-man, so he, he knew those were the right guys. But as we get closer to the resurrection, we see John 13. He, he, they, they, and I've, I, I'm seeing something that I never saw before. I always thought, Cody, that Yeshua washed their feet as they entered in the upper room or, or the, the house that led to the upper room. Uh, the, the tradition would be that there would be a servant there to wash your, your feet. They'd be dirty. You're wearing sandals. It's dusty. And that's where Yeshua told the servant, hey, you take a break. I'm going to do this. It actually says, if you look at verse 2 and verse 4, that he got up from the table during the meal. Now, that tells me that they already had their feet clean. And yet, Yeshua is saying that these guys still don't understand that in my kingdom to be great is... Now, note that by telling the story that he's telling, he literally is telling everybody out there who claims to be an apostle, yeah, 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 you're on the same length, you're on the same you know, strata as John and James and Peter... You're 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 one of the same types of guys as they are, but you're going to need to learn some humility like they had to learn some humility. So note here the assumptions of what he's saying and how this he's telling the story is he's literally telling modern day apostles and prophets, "Oh yeah, you are on the same same level." That would be a big A apostle by the way, not a small A. You're on the same level as James and Peter and John and the boys. To be the least. Mm-hmm. 
If you want to be an apostle, that means you're the, you're the greatest servant of them all. Not a, a guy with a business card that says, Apostle such and such and such. So he washes their feet. They're stunned. They don't understand it. Why are you doing this? Uh, and he explains, I am your teacher. I'm the Lord. And I'm doing this as an example to you because I need you to get this. I need you to understand that you're about to lead this massive movement that's going to change the world and you're still fighting over who's going to have a bigger title. Mm-hmm. And No, actually they were fighting about not titles, positions themselves. If we put Luke 22 and John 13 together, it appears they start the Passover meal. He does this great act of humility. And then he sits down again and he institutes communion, the Lord's Supper. He takes the matzah and the wine. He breaks the bread, said, this is my body. This is my blood shed for you. It, it, to be there, what a privilege, right? Can you imagine looking back now? Mm-hmm. And these, these would-be apostles had no clue what they, like you were saying early, it says they didn't understand what was going on. He's instituting the Lord's Supper. And, and, and it says two verses later, a dispute among them broke out over who was the greatest. Now, if I'm Yeshua, I am just, I'm, I'm walking out. I'm done. I'm going to take three more. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, you, you really are an apostle just like Peter and James and John. You, you just need to learn humility like the same way they had to learn it. Yeah. No, actually, the problem here is that there are no apostles on earth today. None. The the apostles that Jesus sent are still doing their work in equipping us, and they equip us through the written word of God. The whole assumption that these fellows are operating from literally is deceptive. They the, And they are the creators of false apostles false prophets, and false anointed ones. I I hate to say it, but I'll be blunt, that uh, institutions like Revive Israel, they are the ones creating the false messiahs of the last time. Just saying. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, heading back in time to uh, listen to Bob Jones and Mike Bickle. Vision and Revelation, part one. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No visions are cast here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Alright, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Hope you're sitting down. Grab a tinfoil pyramid hat, some bendy straws, and duct tape. You'll need them all. Yeah, let's do this right, though. Hey, oh. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the International House of Prayer, IHOP. Mike Bickle presiding, but he'll be talking with and interviewing the late Bob Jones. Yeah. And they're talking about visions and revelations and things, oh my. And, uh... You'll note a supreme lack of scripture in this sermon, but a lot of tall tales. This is only part one, by the way. We're going to cover different parts of it as we uh, draw to a close in the summer here. Getting, you know, trying to fill things in while we wait for the next heresy hurricane season to arise. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Bob Jones and Mike Bickle. Visions and Revelations. Here we go. I'd like Bob to share a little bit about some of his background. And the things that I'd like him to talk about is the, the two visitations that you had once. One when you were nine and one when you were 13. And then what that did to you. And then go on just talk a minute about the army and some of your uh, bad stuff. When I was about nine years old... Uh, I was walking down a dusty road. And yeah, this is weird fodder for a message, you know. Weird. Middle of summer in Arkansas. 
and uh, I saw uh, an angel come on a white horse. And when the angel came, he, he came to rest in the middle of a road, that dirt road. And he had a great trumpet, and I'd never seen a silver trumpet before. But when he came close, I knew who he was, and I even knew that that was a silver trumpet. I knew things I couldn't know. And, uh, I... Yeah, how could you not know it was a silver trumpet? I mean, trumpets are trumpets and silver is silver, you know? And even people who live deep in the heart of the South know those two things. Heard him talk about that when Gabriel come, he would blow the horn and time would be no more. And everybody's going to get burned up. And so he put that trumpet to his lips and blew it, and I got paralyzed. I was terrorized. And he just looked at me. Was the angel's name Moroni? Then he was gone. And uh, I stood there for quite a while, uh, too frightened to even move. And I didn't understand it in the least. And I've only even got courage up in the last ten years to even tell it. Uh, my life went on normal until I was 13. Normal. You got to hear what normal was, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was 13 years old, I was in Carton Bottoms, Arkansas, in the cotton fields, and we were picking cotton. And it was an evening, and I was walking along a dirt road, and I heard my name call from the cane field. This is age 13 now. It's four years later. And it terrorized me because I knew it was the Lord. I didn't know how I knew it, but I knew the Lord had called my name. And again, I related it to death. Well, I'm sure that he was calling me to death. <laughs> but I didn't understand the death to the old man. I uh, I didn't get so paralyzed that time as I did. I run. I ran with everything I had home. Where'd you run to? I ran home and I went to bed and I covered my head up like any good coward. When I was fifteen, I was taken out of the body. I was taken before the throne. I saw things there that so terrorized me and frightened me. It took about three ner about three months for my nervous system to settle down. And I started seeking anything that'd make me forget them things. Like what what were some of the things that you saw that caused that reaction? I saw the fear of the Lord. People that have never seen him. Don't know the fear of that, the awesomeness of it. It is so awesome and so terrorizing that everything within you shakes and quakes and burns. And I saw his glory and I saw his power. And it so terrorized me that. Tell me if these two don't sound exactly like the uh, types of people that uh, Jude warns us about. Yeah, go back to Pastor Charmley's sermons on Jude. Yeah, th these guys sound exactly like who Jude is warning us about. I wanted to get as far from it as I could. Well, in, in what sense? 
as 15 years old, could you see it? I mean, you were taken out of the body. You stood before the Lord. And what do you mean you saw the fear of the Lord? I just, I want you to catch this because this is a real important uh, thing that God was preparing you for. I have no idea at that time what he was even doing. But he was showing me the throne room. And he was showing me a seat that I needed to sit in one day. And uh, I had no understanding of these things. So Bob Jones apparently is seating in, seated in one of the seats in the throne room of God. He's got one of the high positions within the kingdom. And I knew that when you got there, you were dead. So it frightened me. I didn't have the understanding, but it was a calling. And... Uh, I wanted to try to get as far from it as possible. I had no understanding of it, but I knew what I saw was the real thing, and that that being there was all-powerful, and that he wasn't the God that I had been taught in the Baptist church. Notice what he just said. Yeah, he's claiming that the God that he encountered in the throne room is a different deity than the deity worshipped by Baptists. That should be a, more than a red flag for everybody. He wasn't the God that you could stand before and have sin in your life in any way. That he was also a God of judgment. And when you stood before him and you had anything wrong in you, that you were going to get burned up because I burned and I had some things wrong in me. Burned in, in terms of internally, he felt the fear of the Lord shaking him inside. Well, not only that, I mean all my bones and everything burned too. I mean, I hurt. So you say that you saw the throne room. The question, I'm just going to ask you, just like I did when I first discovered this, what it looked like. <laughs> uh, it looked like gold. And it looked like light. You know, we actually have a description of the throne room in the book of Revelation. We don't need his extra-biblical um, descriptions. Not at all. And it was a light. Not like the light you see here, which is artificial. It was light that went through you. And it'd go through you, and it'd show what was in you. And real quick-like. And I wasn't that much interested in knowing what was in me. And to see it to that detail, I sure wasn't interested in it. And to have to look at him, now that really frightened me. And if I hadn't had that guide with me to stand before me in that light, I don't think I'd have got out of there alive. The guide. Yeah. He's a guy. Yeah, that was weird because uh, when Jeremiah felt like he had been undone, no, not, not, not Jeremiah, Isaiah. See, Isaiah 6. Uh, when he thought he had been undone, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. An angel appeared and uh, took uh, one of the coals from the altar, touched his lips, and he was atoned. His sins were atoned for. Uh-huh. Why didn't that happen for you? He stood in front of me, and he was like red sunglasses. And he shaded me from that light. That was an angel. Uh, that was the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at 15 years old is when you understood that the Lord had prepared. So the angel is Jesus? Huh, that's weird. Now his theology is getting really weird. His purposes. That was the first time, because the first two experiences at 9 and 13, 
you were getting a call and you were getting an induction into the prophetic ministry, but you didn't understand it. Right. But at 15, did you understand it or did you still? No. I thought he was calling me to death or calling me to give up sin. And I didn't want to do either one of them. So what impact did that have on you at 15 years old? Now you're, you come out of this experience and now you're still on that, you know, you're picking cotton or you're on the dirt road in Arkansas. <laughs> what happens then? Well, at 15 after that, I thought, well, I better stay out of sin. And so what I'll do, is I'll just get into books. I'll start reading. That's what I did. I just started studying and reading and uh, began to uh, grow in school and getting things ready for life. And uh, trying to forget those experiences because when I remember them experiences, I'd get hot again. I'd burn. And my nerves would start shaking. And I'd start quaking on the inside. And I didn't want anything to do with that power. I was frightened of it. So I ran from it. I ran from 15 years to uh, in the late 30s. And I ran to, the, to sin. And... Uh, I tried to so the solution you know, the after the experience was to just run headlong into sin. Yeah, that makes no sense. Find peace in sin, and I searched for it in every bar and every fist fight, uh, every uh, gambling game I could get into. By the way, being a Christian does not require you to believe that Bob Jones had these experiences. I was a gambler. Uh, even uh, was a leader in some sin. And uh, others would follow me in whatever I meant to do. But I noticed that uh, those I loved, if I led them the wrong way, they got in trouble where I uh, didn't get in so much trouble. I planned it out before I went. But I only got more and more miserable. And I'd try to drink to forget my misery while I was running. And I was the most miserable sinner I think that ever lived. Uh, while I wasn't fighting in the bar, I'd be bawling and squalling because I was so miserable. So did, uh, did you have a, a, a feisty spirit in those bars? Tell a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I, the thing I wanted to know is that... So, no, we're not learning nothing about Jesus. No, no, just some strange tall tales from a guy who grew up in Arkansas as a brawler and a sinner. How far you've come by the grace of God, because none of them were as messed up as, as, as Bob was. Believe me, you can believe the stories. It. The stories are really in-depth. It just He didn't want to glorify the depth of it, but he really got himself into some heavy stuff of, of sin. And, and just always in street fights and bar fights and beating people up and drinking and alcohol and, and then some other areas too pretty heavy duty and... And I, I want you to know that because the Lord's call was on him and the Lord wasn't, uh, didn't give up on him. Uh, I ran liquor into Oklahoma when it was dry. Uh, I had people that followed me. Uh, I was violent, natured. A man pulled a gun on me behind the screen door once. I went through the screen door. He shot at me right in my face the gun didn't go off I took the gun away from him and nearly killed him a friend of mine picked up the gun pointed towards the ceiling pulled the trigger and it went off 
Uh, I was drunk with a bunch of Marines. I was in the Marine Corps. In California, we run off the Santa Monica Palisades. Every guy that got hurt except me. All it did with me is tear the seat of my pants out. Uh, I began to see that there was a purpose there that I was running from. And that there was a hand that was keeping me from getting killed. But still I search for peace in sin. I never found it. I decided I'd come back after the Marine Corps and I'd do everything I could to get rich. Nearly made it a couple of times too. If I hadn't had that calling on me, I would have made it. Just about every time that things was going good and I could make the big killing, a hand had come down and it'd burn up overnight. And I'd be left broke. So me and Viola, we've known feast and famine all our life. Like having too much one year and nothing for a couple of years. Uh, one time I could have bought 12 acres in the center of Raytown, in the shopping center right now. I was with, I had enough cash except $5,000 to buy. I was just ready to borrow the 5000 And something just cut it off. I look back now in the way I was going because I wanted to make enough money to where I never had to do anything but buy me a big bar and retire. A big what? Bar? And I look back now and I praise God that his hand kept me from that sin. And that that calling lifted me out because uh, in my late 30s, my nerves went to where I couldn't even drink anymore. Couldn't even get into sin. Sin would give me a little drunkenness. It'd give me a, a, an hour or so quietness within myself. But I got to where my nerves wouldn't let me rest. I'll tell you something. The damned can't rest. And you can live without sleep. So you're describing yourself as damned after your experience up in heaven? Hmm. I, uh... My nerves went. I'll say that again, what you said about the rest. I don't know if everybody heard that. The damned can't rest. And you can live without sleep. I lived days on end without any sleep. It was hell in my mind. But my mind was clear. And so... I went to the psychiatrist to try to get healed because I was in bad problems then. I couldn't drink. So they immediately put me on some real strong dope. Thought it'd help me. Well, it didn't. All it wanted to make me do was sleep. And uh, they had to take me off of that. And uh, the Lord was leading me to go to Topeka, Kansas to the uh, Veterans Hospital. I went to Topeka. I signed in and I immediately run off. And I got in hell again, so they took me back. And I thought I've got to set it out. So I walked the halls 
out there night and day. And what age are you at this time? In my late 30s. It was after he was out of the service and yep. after years of alcoholism and street fighting and all the gambling and et cetera, et cetera. And so now he's so steeped in alcoholism and trying to get free and his life is miserable, perpetual unrest. Hell. And God's striving with him all the time because he had a call for him, for the literally for the nations. It was hell. And of all things, uh, the doctor out there was a Christian. And the first thing he looked at me, and he wasn't kind. And he said, I'm taking your dope away. I can't live without it. Oh, yes, you can. If you're going to live, you're going to live without it. And so he took it away, and I walked the halls day and night. I walked them for about five days. And all the other doctors out there are saying, you might as well put him on the strong stuff. He's found a home. He'll be here the rest of his life. You know, that Christian doctor said, no, he isn't. He's worth saving. I'm going to save that man. And I was walking. It was about noon one day, and I was walking along the hall, and all my hands were shaking. I was walking back and forth. He come up, and he said, tough, huh? And I said, oh, it's so really so tough. He says, if I tell you to do something and I show you how to stop that shaking, will you do it without questions and continue to do it? Yes, sir. I'll do anything to stop this shaking. Okay, come with me. We went down to a closet and he opened it up and he brought out a mop. Mop the floors. Mop the floors? Oh, I've never done that kind of work in my life. Mop the floors. You said you'd do what I told you to. Try it. I went mopping the floors. You know, while I mopped the floors, I quit shaking. So I said, I found something. So how, how long did you mop? Uh, every time I started shaking. Usually about midnight to about six in the morning. That's right. That's what I want you to hear. All night long, he mopped those floors for days. And I got a book in the mail from a Christian man that had been praying for me. And that book was God's Psychiatry. And it was all about the 23rd Psalm. And I read the 23rd Psalm and I memorized it. And I read that book over and I said, That's it. That's it. I know what's wrong with me. I'm terrorized on the inside. I am so terrorized that I'm going to hell that I am frightened. And uh, I begin to cry out, Lord, help me. Be my shepherd. And I would just repeat that 23rd Psalm over and over and over. And within a, about three days from that time, it was about three o'clock in the morning and I'd been mopping the floor. Uh, since about 10 o'clock at night when the rest of them went to bed. Uh, they went to bed because they gave them some pills and they could sleep. With me, they didn't knock me out. And so I was tired and I just went and I sat down on the bed and I thought, I'm just going to get off that bed. I'm going to kneel by it and repeat the 23rd Psalm. And as I was repeating it, 
The devil come and spoke to me. I didn't have any trouble seeing the devils at all. I'd been agreeing with them for years then anyway. And this devil come and he said, Everybody has just mistreated you all your life. I mean, this guy sounds as deluded as Muhammad. No wonder you are like you are. You deserve a break. You deserve to get even with them. They got you in the veterans hospital. They got you in the crazy ward anyway. And you truly are crazy. And, you know, there's about a list of 12 people that are the problems why you're here. Why don't you run away tonight and go back to town and get your gun and go kill them people? And then come back and sign in the Veterans Hospital? You're going to be here the rest of your life anyway. And they don't do anything to you. And, and, and so this demon was right in front of you. You could see oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when, you're, when you've been awake that long, you don't have any problems in the devils. And immediately I cried out for help. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me. And a voice spoke to me and says, I can't help you, Bob, until you forgive them. Go kill them or forgive them. Man, I went to my knees and I started forgiving people. I forgave those 12. I really did. And I, then I started with the women uh, going all the way back as far as I could remember in my life. And I just went right down that list as I could see names and things that cropped up within me. And I began to forgive everybody I could think of. And the next thing I knew, that devil was shaking me awake again. I had gone to sleep. First thing in days. And he shook me awake. And I would give anything I had for just another five minutes sleep. You have no idea how blessed it is to sleep. With a clear conscience. A little tired right now. And I, I, I felt like he must have let me sleep at least a minute. And that was the most precious enjoyment that I'd had for a year. I had slept and something was gone out of me. And then that devil come and woke me up again. And he said, poor old Bob. You're just a born loser. You was born the son of an ignorant cotton farmer in Arkansas. And you're just dumb. And you're just a loser. And you always will be. And I started, help, Lord. And a voice spoke to me and said, one of your greatest sins is self-pity. You blame everybody else for your problems, but the real problem yourself is this. And, and, and this was an audible voice? Audibly. I didn't see him. But I knew who it was. I knew he wasn't the devil. And that voice I listened to. And I went to my knees. And I said, Lord Jesus, if you'll forgive me, I'll never let anybody give me sympathy as long as I live. And I'll never give anybody... Yeah, I promise you, certainly it broke. Sympathy, as long as I live. Sympathy is agreeing with their problems. And sympathy is other people coming and agreeing with my problems instead of dealing with them. And uh, 
Yeah, that's not what sympathy is. I woke up and I was been in the floor and on that bed all night long in daylight. I'd slept. When I asked the Lord to forgive me the second thing, and uh, I see what he was dealing with me, so that I not get into self-pity. And I don't give it either, as you all ought to know. And the next morning I'd got maybe, well, probably two, three hours sleep. And I just went down the hall and I started to sing. And I found out I could whistle. And the first one I run into was that doctor. And he drawed back and just fell against the wall and looked at me and said, Hey, you come back here. What happened to you? And I says, What do you think? He said, uh, I want to see you in my office very shortly. He says, We're going to try you one more day. Tonight, we're going to put you in charge of the padded cells. And we're going to see how you do. And I was thinking, man, I was already looking forward to a night's sleep. And sort of- yeah, isn't it interesting? I mean, this guy literally has spent time in asylums. I I don't think he ever got over his mental illness. I think his mental illness is the source of his delusions that we're listening to now. It felt good in me. I was going to the cafeteria because I thought I could eat. When you get in that way, you can't eat. You ain't got anything in here that's not hurting. And you don't put anything here that don't hurt. I mean, you're hell on the inside. And I felt pretty good, and I thought I could get strength. But that night, that doctor tried me. He put me on the padded cell to watch the people that was in there that had to be locked up at night. So I watched over it all night long. And it really surprised me. The next day, I didn't feel all that bad. He looked at me again. He said, you handle that responsibility good. Get your clothes. Get out of here. What? You ain't found no home. You get out of here. You go get you a penny ante job that don't have any pressure on it. You work at it for a couple of months. If you have to come back, you can. But you've answered my prayers. I've been praying for the Lord to just help me save one more man before I go home. He says, I haven't got long to go. My heart's getting bad. And you're an answer to my prayer. You get out of here. And, and so the other doctors uh, really believed you would be there for many years. Yeah, yeah. Well, they believed I'd be there. They was going to get me on full Social Security on all veterans, veterans benefits and just found a home, they said. You know, the thing I wonder, I wonder how many people are in those hospitals that are prophets that uh, when the voice came, they said they agreed with the enemy and they didn't. You know, you just oh, wonder how many are called of God in those places. Well, I know that a lot. Mike Bickle, oh man, there's a whole bunch of people in the insane asylums who were really actually prophets. Yeah, that's the well you want to you want to pull from to uh, bring in as prophetic voices in your church. Bob Jones being you know the apex of that group. One of them there, 
were there because they didn't answer that call. A lot of your mentally disturbed Christians is because they would never yield and obey the Spirit of God. And uh, uh, that's one thing that I saw there. They were, uh, the middle words are full of Christians that are really born again but won't give up that which troubles them within. Like, the main thing I saw there is unforgiveness. And just like with me, self-pity. Not taking the responsibility for your own actions. So, uh, I've always wanted to ask you this. What, what song did you whistle when you were in the hallway? I'd like to hear it. The song I was yeah, singing? let's do it. Uh, for about the first six months, everything that I did was along this line. The Lord is my shepherd. Whistle it. I just wanted everybody to get that officially. I've always wanted to whistle that tune, whatever it was. <laughs> okay, so you meet the Lord, and then you're in the Baptist church for a few years. And uh, he goes through an experience of not being sure of his salvation. He got saved about five times over the next couple of years. Oh, much more than that. Oh. Every time they give the salvation call in the Baptist church, I stood up. So he was reading the Word even night and day. And I read the Word night and day for four years. And then the Lord gave him the assurance of his salvation. Yep. And then uh, it's August 1975, August 7th, and you're at the, uh, you're down at the lake fishing and you're driving home. Then what happens? And a spirit come all over me. A Holy Spirit. I mean, it, well, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And I began to prophesy. And now, have you, have you ever prophesied before that time that you're aware of? Uh, I, uh, in the praise before that. I would have visions and things that come before my mind and words would be spoke to me like, uh, well, some words like Patty Hearst to be taken captive within 30 days. And I said, what do you people think of this? And 30 days from that day, she'd be captured. And we all began to look at it, What's wrong with me? And, and you were just in the Baptist church, but you would tell them that. Yeah. Did you tell them that publicly or kind of at the coffee break? Or... Oh, I told them that publicly. Oh. Well, I mean... The Baptist church that I was in was, uh, uh, some of them was spirit-filled, so they listened to it, and they looked at it. And so, uh, uh my Baptist brothers that I was with, uh, I would tell them, and they looked at it too. Uh, one thing, that I never got persecuted or rejected for anything I did in the Baptist church because they seen me raised up. That's good. Uh, the Baptists never come down on me. It's a spirit-filled body that always clobbered me. Uh, the Baptist brothers and sisters and my pastors that baptized me and the elders that watched over me never once did they persecute me in any way. So, so you have a few experiences, not a lot of them. I mean, like what? Well, it just strange things that was happening like that that I didn't understand, and it would always begin when they started lifting their hands, which made me uncomfortable. And when they started praying in them tongues, which really bugged me, and uh, when they'd get into that praise and songs, is when my mind would go into realm and things would start writing on it. And uh, I'd, when they was doing that, well, I'd say, blood of Jesus over me, blood of Jesus over me, blood of Jesus Christ over me. 
And they were words of knowledge. The Spirit of God was giving you visions and words, and you were rebuking them. <laughs> well, I wasn't rebuking them. They ain't going to hurt them if you put the blood of Jesus over them. But they kept coming anyway. Yeah, they kept coming anyway. Because the more he pled the blood, the more Jesus gave him words. <laughs> kept going worse. And uh, uh, they baptized me. And uh, just a week later, uh, some friends of mine that were spirit-filled, uh, we were down at the lake. They wanted to lay hands on me, so I'd get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I kept telling them, no, I'm not interested. And they said, well, let us just lay hands on you. And I think, well, he's a really good old friend of mine. He's been a brother of mine. And we're the best of friends. I'll pacify him. And this is 74, right? Yeah. 1974. Yep. So they lay hands on me, and I'm thinking, well, we'll get this over with five minutes, and we'll go eat. And so they started laying hands on me, and I think, well, two minutes is gone. <laughs> I've only got three minutes to put up with this junk. And uh, then they started pleading the blood on me, just like what I did. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over him. And all of a sudden, something warm started running down on my head and my neck and my back. And my mind started doing that strange thing again. It went into that realm that it saw in technicolor. And not only saw in technicolor, but heard voices speak and said, look. And as I looked, I saw a landscape. And it was in technicolor. I saw the sun. And the sun was like in the last hour of the day. And the voice spoke to me and said, Shortly it'll be to where no man can go into the labor field. Pray that the Lord raises up labors now, for the harvest is ready. <laughs> Come back out of that. These people are still praying over you, right? Oh, well, uh, they'd quit praying because I was doing something real strange. I was speaking in tongues. And not only speaking, I started singing in them. Singing? Yeah. That's when you started singing prophecy? Back well, it was if I backed off of it for a while, but I started singing. I started really doing all of it. And I just kept it up. And I prayed to the Lord, Lord, I don't want that exuberance that these people get into. I don't want no more highs or lows. You know what I got into when I was drinking? I want to even walk. And, well, that's all I had. I just had the visions and the even walk. And I just told people. Lord, things happen. Lord, give us the even walk. Amen. <laughs> and so, about three months later, I said, Lord, I think I got robbed. Everybody else is talking about their experience when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't mind having just a measure of that joy. For about three months, my foot didn't touch the ground. You know, I'm going to tell you something about Bob that, uh, Ever since that, that, that time in 74, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to see these technicolor visions, and the Lord began to, to uh, visit him. And, and since that time, he has seen many, many times five, ten visions, dreams a night. And when I first met him, I couldn't hardly comprehend that. I said, five or ten a night? And he said, oh, yeah, all the time. Sometimes more. He said, sometimes, you know, three or four. And I remember one time in 84, Bob came to me and... Uh, he said, boy, he says, I don't know what's wrong. He says, you, you picking anything up about me? And I said, you know, this is a new kind of way to do this. I said, no, I'm not picking up anything about you. He, I said, what? He said, he said, boy, am I in sin? Can you see anything? I said, no. He says, I'm checking, you know, I'm quitting the spirit. He says, boy, the Lord's cut me off. He said, quote, unquote, the Lord just shut the whole thing down. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, he just shut the whole thing down. He said, I hadn't seen visions in two nights. He said, he shut the whole thing down. 
Remember that? I said, no, not right off hand. I said, two nights, two <laughs> nights, and the whole thing was shut down. You'll, you'll know we really haven't had the word of God here. We're not hearing anything about Jesus, but boy, we sure are talking up Bob Jones. Whoa, I mean, yeah, don't you wish you were him? I said, oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> when I was coming back from the lake in uh, 75. It was August 75. And uh, the 6th of August in 75. 6th of August has been a real important date a few times in there. And around the 1st of August is usually a time the Spirit moves. And the Holy Spirit fell on me then, and he didn't leave me. And I began to prophesy, and the first thing I began to prophesy about was abortion. And uh, it was so horrible that I was prophesying it and seeing it, and it was making me sick. And the Holy Spirit was telling me in the different ways that men would advance abortion. Now, one of the first ways I saw is like taking a sword and cutting a, an innocent baby all to pieces. Uh, that's the way they did, filleting a baby alive. And the Lord was speaking in the prophecies. That that's what uh, the women in the Old Testament did when they ate their own fruit of their womb. And then he showed me that they would pour acid on a baby, a live being, and it would be burned alive like with acid. And he showed me that the different ways that they would that technology would increase in abortion. And he showed me that one of the last ways they would do is a pregnant woman could just take a pill and she wouldn't be pregnant anymore. That baby would just be pushed out. They've nearly got that technology here now. And that baby would push out and that baby would literally starve to death. And nearly immediately. And then the rest of the prophecies, the churches didn't like it. And many of them told me, well, they all told me, don't bring them. We don't want to hear that. And uh, the last of the prophecies was, as you destroy the firstborn, and you destroy the fruit of the womb, so will you be destroyed. There's a judgment upon this nation because of the... Uh, we are being cut to pieces with knives every day. Acid is burning the minds up of people all over right now. And I want to tell you, pills is killing them every day. Talking about the, uh, the whole uh, drug wars that are going on and increasing. And uh, that's what's happening through the drug culture that's increasing is all the fights and the wars, the murders. So it's happening at a beginning level at this point right now. And the judgment that's in this nation is according to the sins. And at this time, too, along with this, I was bringing... Uh, back then, it was sort of uh, uh, popular to have a homosexual in your midst. And they were justifying homosexuality and uh, bringing it in to where it's normal. Uh, receive it as a normal thing that you just go through. Well, it isn't normal. And once you justify a homosexual, you damn him to hell forever. But you stay against his homosexuality, and those that want free will get free. 
And uh, I was bringing a word, there'll be homosexual diseases that cannot be cured. Some of you here have heard me speak this for better than 10, 15 years. And then they won't be popular to set in your midst. And there'll be venereal diseases that can't be cured. Just after that, herpes become real popular. And some of the last prophecies, in the end times, these diseases will be so rampant, it'll be real popular to be faithful to your married partner. It'll be popular to be faithful. And safe. Okay, so you're driving back from the lake. Spirit of God falls on you, August 6, 75. You begin to see all these things as he's driving about abortion. It just starts opening up right in front of him while he's driving. He goes back home, and then what happens? And I began to call people and tell them about them. Pastors, all that I could. Been telling people about that ever since it happened. Uh, the next morning, a devil came and spoke to me again. Just said, took me four years of reading the Bible night and day before the Lord lit my light to where I could see I was saved. And when I have enough salvation, when I had enough faith to see I was saved, I didn't have any trouble at all on anything else. I don't have no trouble talking to angels. And I don't have any trouble rebuking devils. If, if God has the power to save my soul, then all these other things to me are just real easy to move into. Tell you, getting... Getting to that knowledge in that place that I know I was saved was the hard thing with me. Moving in prophecy and all these other things. Once you got to, I'll tell you, the strongest faith you can have is salvation faith. That's right. And I'm still growing in salvation faith. But my soul got saved totally. When I told Viola, she said, well, of course, you've been saved for four years. Men don't do things you do without being saved. Well, I said, I wanted to be sure. <laughs> And I'll tell you, I never got saved in the Baptist church. I got saved when Jesus spoke to me. And I got it clear. And I didn't have any trouble hearing what them devils were saying either. And I told that devil when he told me. Yeah, really easy for him for him to hear the demons. Uh-huh. I kept prophesying about what was going to be concerned with abortion and homosexuality. He said... If you keep speaking it, I've got the authority to kill you. I told him, get lost. Now, we're talking about a demon appeared in the room and spoke to him face to face. So it's not kind of a picture in his mind. He's talking about an actual encounter. Because when he was baptized in the Spirit, he began to move in discerning of spirits instantly. He could begin to see angels and devils. Why? I mean, he could see into the spirit realm just like you can see us sitting up here. So this yep. devil's in front of him talking to him. He's having a conversation. Yep. He told me the next time that I prophesied, and told anybody about it, he'd kill me. He said, if you knock that off, uh, we'll move back. You can do all the signs and wonders you want to. Uh, you can heal people. And you can prophesy day and night if you want to, if you'll leave these two subjects alone. Abortion and homosexuality. Yeah, abortion and homosexuality. Immorality is what he was really saying. And he's saying, you know the way you were, you liked the girls. We'll get you a couple of spiritual wives, too. A demon told you? Yeah. Orphan with the real goodies. Uh, you like fancy cars? We'll see that you get good orphans. If you'll only back up from these two things. And I said, you get lost. It was too hard getting here to back up. 
Oh, listen to that. I mean, oh, this is such a crowd pleaser. Wow. Everyone's, oh, yeah, way to go. Bob Jones, you're so brave. You know, I, I think we see the, uh, it's obvious, the priority of God's heart about those two subjects. He says, moving miracles, prophesy, touch people, big offerings, people like you, the church accepts you, increase your ministry. Fine, we'll give that to you. Don't touch those two subjects. And that should alert us. Yeah, I, I think the devil cares more about the subject of Christ and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You have to preach law and gospel, not just law. This is too the strategy of the powers of darkness around the subject of abortion and immorality. Go ahead. You know, I think abortion and immorality, they're the same sin. They're all caused by the same sin. So I told him, I'll show you. I just dialed up some person I know and told him what I just heard. Is the demon still watching you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to show him who's boss. So, so you get the telephone and you call someone. And you're... Yep. I was telling him. I told him to go to hell if you want to know what I told him. You still had a little that Marine in you, didn't you? You better believe it. Did for a long time. I know. <laughs> and so uh, he left when I made the call. So me and my son, we were doing tree work, and I went out to spray. I was going about five minutes, and I found out that I ought to have took that devil a little more seriously. Because, boy, I started to hurt, and from my waist down began to burn and to hurt, and every muscle in my leg began to cramp, and I turned back around to come home, and things got worse. And uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, get him in the hospital. Don't know what's wrong with him, but he's in bad shape. I knew what was wrong. And I said, the Lord will deliver me. And I don't want to go to the hospital. If I'm going to die, I'm going to go home to die. So we went home. The doctor says, you better take these pain pills, and he gave me some pain pills. And I went home, and oh, the pain was really bad. And I thought, I'll take one. And I took one. Oh, the pain real bad. And I said... If one will do any good, two will do better. So I took me another one. And man, it just got worse. And I was putting a third pencil in my mouth when blood started coming out of my mouth and my nose. Just every time my heart beat, it'd come up like that. And I got a wet towel and wrapped it around me and I said, Man, I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. And uh, I put Viola out of the bedroom and I wrapped the towel around my face and I just fell on the bed. blood was just hemorrhaging out of his nose every time his heartbeat because this demon came out and actually touched him right uh you know where uh, you know the whole abortion process came and just touched you right here never thought of that but that's the truth that's the way he touched me i i uh, just turned as hard as a cramp from there on down and man it it was horrible pain and i laid there and boy that pain was terrible and then all of a sudden the pain was gone and uh, I was in a, a dark place. And I looked around and I could see that I was in a cave. And I looked down there and I saw a crystal light. And immediately I knew 
that that light was the Lord. It and I said, well, what do you know? He did kill me. I wonder how he was able to do that. And uh, I'm going to the Lord. And as I started walking, it was like walking to the clock. wasn't any farther than that. And I'd walk out of the dark into that light. And I was thinking, thank God that this didn't happen a few years ago. And then my thoughts were, oh, Lord, did I get my robe clean? Did I have enough time? Did you have enough time to get your robe cleaned? Doesn't Christ's death on the cross do that? There was a man that walked beside me, and he says, you can look now, Bob, and see. And I looked down, and, and my robe was like crystal light. There wasn't no spots of darkness in it. And I began to cry. Lord God, your faithfulness, you brought me out of the bottom of the cesspool. And you kept me. I'm coming home. And I'm coming home clean. And I, I drew closer to the light. And then I thought, Lord Jesus, here is a man that really has it made. I got it over, and I am clean, and I'm coming home. And I saw other men and women of different ages in front of me. And as they'd come to him, he'd reach out and grab them and kiss them. And it was like two big old doors right here in his heart. And he just like that, and they're gone. It's in his heart. And just as soon as he's grabbing, he's going. And I looked to the side, and there was another row of people. About 97 of them, these three of us, and they were bound, many of them were like mummy clothes, and they were wrapped in dollar bills, and they were wrapped in all manner of different things. Some of them was even wrapped in uh, like green yards. That had been their God on the earth, and whatever their God on the earth had been is what they were wrapped in. And they uh-huh. uh-huh, okay. Look at this beauty and this beautiful Shekinah glory. And their minds, I could see, were totally clear. And they knew all things clearly. But they were on a, an elevator and an escalator going down, like into a cold storage place. And they would look at that, and their mouth would drop, and they would see whom they had rejected. And they went down into that place and they went there forever. They were never again see that beautiful man or any of the light that was in him. And I looked at them even as I was looking at him and I'm thinking, I won't have to look at that no more. I'm next. And I think he'll reach out and he'll take me in. Boy, I'm going home. And he didn't. He put his hand up and he said, you go back. Lord, I don't want to. That's tough. Go back. Because there's one thing you really sincerely had a desire to see. Souls birthed into the kingdom. The Baptist church implanted that into you. 
and it's truly a thing that's in your heart, go back and touch some of the leaders of my early church and bring them and see that they dwell in the place where that they can get the truth. I'm going to bring over a billion souls into myself in the last day. There's the prophecy of the billion souls harvest comes from Bob Jones. Go back and touch the leaders so they can bring them in. Okay, I got, I got two. Uh... All right, that's where we're going to end today. Yeah, tall tales. I mean, do you believe in Paul Bunyan? Mm-hmm. Pecos Bill? Yeah. Yeah, Bob Jones, the spinner of yarns, like uh, the uh, Joseph Smith of Mormonism, Muhammad of Islam. He's in that same group. False prophet. Leading people away from Christ, not leading them, le- leading people to him. Uh, not properly preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but really good at preaching himself. And boy, there was some really, really messed up theology along the way. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.